You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMV Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Strange day, Wayne, because of this extraordinary volume we saw yesterday. The JSC has only really just opened its doors. A little bit. Yes, of rep- but they had a, they had a problem. Yeah, exactly. Reputational damage is the problem, I, I would say. But yes. uh, what did you understand happened? Look, I I mean to be honest, I don't know, and who cares? whether it was the main system or an ancillary system or an accounting system or a settlement system, it doesn't matter. You couldn't trade, and that was the actual problem. So what it actually turned out to be, quite frankly, doesn't really matter. I know it was apparently some sort of settlement accounting-type system that – didn't work properly, but as I said, it's, it's actually irrelevant. It is irrelevant, apart from the fact that they should have known that the process NASPAIR story was coming. There would be that sort of volume yes. going through, and they should have had a trial run at the weekend or something before in order to make sure that the system could handle a hundred billion plus trade, which is probably double the previous record. Uh, in fact, it was double yes. the previous record. So it was, it's a little bit sloppy, I thought. And uh, a, a regular commentator of mine, I said, uh, I said, not an auspicious day for the JSE in a message to him. And he said, no. uh, this, this happened 30 years ago when the JSE eliminated any competition. I don't know quite what he means by that, but uh, he was certainly... Look, a it's li- not... I, mm-hmm. Go on. I can't remember when it happened, but there's been at least one other occasion where there was an admin issue and we couldn't trade. Oh, three or four, I, I cannot remember, even if it yeah. is at least one that I can remember. Yeah, there's been several during the time I've been looking at the markets. But anyway, again, it's, mm. it's irrelevant, up and trading now. And after a bit of gnashing of teeth, uh, people might forget about it. It's not as if they can go elsewhere and say, well, that's it, I'm closing my yeah, account. And I, and I, and I promise you, it won't have been the only exchange in the world that, that had a problem. This is and, and I come to this conclusion virtually every day that certainly you and I don't have to worry about computers taking over the world quite yet. No. No. They're not there quite yet. No, no. If I didn't have my computer, I wouldn't be able to speak to you because I wouldn't be able to record it. But on the and so in a, in a way, I'm I'm a slave to my computer. But on the other hand, you know, I could go out and uh, get a job as a fruit seller or something. It's not it's not going to be that uh, it's not going to be that traumatic for me. But uh, yeah, but the fact is that you've got to have you've got to have a backup. Yes. But what is the future of the JSC? Do you think not so much linked to what's happened today, but it sort of led me into it yeah. because if you can't remember the last time that the JSC was down, I can't really remember the last time that there was a new company that came to the exchange with a fanfare and everyone thought, oh, this is good. This is a new company. It's gone into this particular yes. sector. It's not a spin-off from another company. It's not um, British American tobacco or whatever. Or it's, a, it's not a process. Something yeah. brand new. It's been stagnant, Wayne. Yes, it has. And look, I mean, if you look back to, in the history of the, of the, of the JSE, <clears throat> prior to the relaxation of exchange controls, which essentially, I mean, it started in the mid-90s, but it only really got going 20 years ago, exchange control relaxation, where chaps, where companies could take their primary listings offshore. Right. So all of our big companies, they have a secondary listing on the JSE, and I'll come back to that. So any of the big expansions, the mining companies, etc., have happened offshore, not domestically. 
and they've always been international companies, but because effectively of exchange control, they had to main, they maintain their primary listing here in Johannesburg. And, and when the exchange control was relaxed, they got permission from the Reserve Bank to move their listings with a whole lot of T's and C's attached to it and dividend flows and all of these things. So the JSE now, I don't know what percentage, but let's call it 50% of the JSE is listed in South Africa now because of residual exchange controls. Okay. Because if you're a South African, if you're a shareholder Anglo-American South Africa and you're a South African citizen, you cannot sell that share on the London stock market and take payments in pounds into a UK bank account. You've got to sell it. You can sell it in, you can actually sell it in Johannesburg, but that money's got to come back to South Africa. It can't stay in the UK. In other words, we now have, because of exchange control, we've got two share registered, the South African register and a global register. And you can only put your proceeds from the sale of Anglo-American if your registration is on the global share register and not the domestic share register. The domestic share register can only be settled in rands. Yes. And hence, they, they maintain the listing here on the JSE. So if tomorrow all exchange controls were listed, a good half of that will just cancel their JSE listing because there's actually no need for it because the – the, the percentage of their shares held by South African registers, registers, South African citizens, and that is relatively small compared to the global, you know, the, the total global holding of that share. And that's, and that's the same for a lot, a lot of our, of our companies. So there's the first problem with the JSE. Mm. A huge portion of the JSE is only here because of this residual exchange control yes. that they actually have. Okay, I was going to ask you that question, so actually. It was just, just before you go on, I was, I was going to use the example of Ang- Anglo Gold Ashanti, which no longer has assets in South Africa. If, reserve, yes. if the Reserve Bank said, that's it, we'll see what happens, and let's just get rid of all exchange controls, and these are, are the rules. Anglo Gold Ashanti, of course, would be at the top of the list and say, right, we're out of here. Would, would that be the case? I think it would be. And then South African shareholders can just trade in the London stock market. You still have the brokers, yeah? Yes. But that's the biggest market. Why would you trade on a, on a relatively small market where everything's electronic? There's no more, you know, it doesn't matter where in the world what exchange you trade on, but because of the exchange control and the history of certain companies in South Africa, they keep the JSE listing. So there's a, look, I don't think exchange controls are going to be relaxed tomorrow. No. And maybe not for many, many, many years will we get around this because that's where the true capital actually sits in pension funds, et cetera, et cetera, uh, retirement savings. But so there's the one big threat for the JSC, but I don't think that's imminent by a long margin. But then secondly, overseas opportunities are just bigger than domestic opportunities. You know, so why list? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, eventually the JSC will, of course, be purely domestic stocks. I mean, it, it has to be that way. It's essentially, yes, but over, in the passage of time, yes, but it's not imminent. No, but if you look at, let's say, um, if you take, for example, gold shares, I think at one stage there were something like 62 individual well, gold was, shares, something like that. Yeah. And then and it, it went down to the… Yes, when I came to South Africa in 1988, there was an, a, a Goldie 30. 
And that was, uh, yeah. and there was a futures contract on the South African Futures Exchange uh, called the Goldie 30. And then it went down to the Goldie yes. 10. And then, of course, <laughs> it disappeared completely. There isn't even, and never, mind a, ne- never mind a futures contract, there's no gold index yeah, anymore. There's nothing. There's no. no gold index. Yeah. Look, there was the huge consolidation, specifically when Anglo American just consolidated all of their gold mines. They must have had. 15, if not more, separate gold mines listed. Mm. They consolidated. I think gold fields also consolidated. There was a JCI consolidated. I think uh, the old, the old, uh, uh, what was Billiton before it became Billiton, before it became BHP? Oh, goodness me, with um, Brian Gilbertson. Um, what was it? Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it Anglovol? Uh, it was Anglovol, eh? Hey? I think you're right. Sure, yes. it was Anglovol. Mm. Yeah. Because Anglovol spun out AVI, the, the non-mining business. Then it was Anglovol, then it became Billiton, then it became BHP. Yes, yes, you're right. But, I mean, the South African gold mining industry is very interesting to talk about because in the 80s, mm. we used to mine 600, 700 tons of gold a year at, say, one kilometer down in the ground. Yeah. No, I don't think we're mining 100 tons of gold a year, and it's four kilometers down in the ground. Because it's, it's a depleting asset. The, the, the reserves just aren't there anymore, which is why everyone's gone overseas to try and find other reserves. If you look at how many companies have left, I mean, not just specifically looking at the, the, the mining story, and incidentally, uh, um, South Africa mined over a 1,000 tonnes of gold in 1970. Uh, it was by far yeah. the biggest gold mine in the world, and it's been uh, down steadily uh, from then on. But um, if you just take away, if, if you just ignore the mining side of things, uh, I think we how many com- we, we must have lost two, 300 companies over the last uh, 10, 15 years, I would have yes. thought. Yes, you are. I mean, when... The numbers are very rough in my head, but I can remember 700 listings 20 years ago, and it's now about 500 listings. Yeah, very sad. Well, if but you look, I mean, to get to get to get a new listings boom, you've got to get a few things happening. You know, so previous listing booms have happened when we've had five percent economic growth for four or five years in a row, and previous listing booms have happened when you know from 2004 to 2008 in the big platinum boom. I mean, there were. Ten platinum mines listed. All most of them have disappeared. If not all of them have disappeared, you know. So you need a spurt of economic growth, strong, to happen either in the in the economy or in a sector of the economy, and then the new listings come. Now we haven't had that for ten, twelve years. I mean, we had quite a few new listings through two thousand and eight through to uh, two thousand and four through to two thousand and eight. We had quite a few new listings from. Ugh, I suppose the mid to late 90s through to 2001, 2002, but they're all gone, eh? Hmm. I'm thinking about companies like, for example, to... Cash Build. I, I think yes. it's that, that, that sort of company. And um, uh, Dimension Data. Companies like that, the, yeah. you know, when, when, they, when they listed, you could have picked them up for a rand, a rand 50 a share. And then they went on to, yeah. in, on to incredible things. But, yeah. And then, but then in died auto back down to a rand. Yeah. You're quite right. Actually. That went to that went to eighty bucks, eh? Actually, I think when it, it listed it, in London, it went to seventy-two or eighty rand when it listed in London. There was a one trade, I think, that I, I still think is, is is held good was one hundred and twenty rand a share. As, it could as, have been that, but that that was the odd one. That yeah, I don't think that was even the closing price. No, it wasn't. But yes, now I remember Dardite died out very very well. The share 
They were just about to do the London listing, and I made one good call and one bad call. What was the good one? Uh, a good call was I sold it at 80 bucks in that listing in London. I sold every single share I, I, I held in the portfolio that I managed. And then it fell, and then it fell, and it fell, and it fell. And the bad call was I bought them back. Not all of them, but I bought back a fair slug at about 12 bucks a share. I thought it had fallen enough. <laughs> and it, I think it went. I think it went off the market at three rand, didn't it? Four rand, something like that. Wait. Can't quite remember. Yeah, no, no, but there's water under the bridge. I'm just looking at the Anglo Vol yeah, history. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Anglo Vol history now, and it goes. I mean, it, it doesn't mention Billiton. I think we may have got that one wrong. Actually, no, I'm getting confused. Yeah, yeah. Then, then I agree with you. Yeah, uh, uh, my memories. You know, when when you get old, your memory disappears. It says here, um, by 2003, Anglovile Minerals became part of Af African Rainbow Minerals Limited, a listed black empowerment company, as we know. Uh, Anglovile was one of the six large South African holding conglomerates, uh, etc. And it was the Herzog family. Do you remember Basil Herzog? Yes. And, yes. And Manel as well. Anyway, yeah. so we'll have to find out but the origins was Billiton of Billiton. Was, 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 mean, I mean, I mean, your, my memory is so poor. Was Billiton always Billiton then? It's always Before been Billiton. It merged and yeah, okay. it, it was formed, I think, in um, something like the 19th century, and it, it, it originally was a, a tin mine, and it's the name Billiton is a sort of bastardization of an Indonesian word, which, I, which, which escapes me. But no, I think it's always been Billiton. I think so. Okay, okay, okay. That shows you how bad my memory is. Yeah, you should really start taking some supplements, Wayne. Um, uh, oh, no, no. Yeah, when you're a bullet, you're just a bullet. Yes, you, you are. You can't yeah, I mean, listen. I mean, you've, you've you've already sparked up two cigarettes since we've been speaking. I can hear you. You need a new lighter. No, only one. Only one. Only one. Well, it took you three times to. I'll get you a Zippo, um, Wayne. Uh, just talking about the JSE today and mining companies. Why are the miners yeah. getting so badly hit today? Because the rand is nearly fifteen, and the yeah. commodity prices aren't well, doing that bad. Anglo's and Billiton. Anglo's and Billiton is ex-div. partially explained by going ex-div. That's why Kumba's down 12%. Yeah. They've still, but they've still fallen by more than the div. Eh? Yes, yes. Yeah, so Anglo's is down 60 rand odd, and the div, including the special div, is 40 rand odd. Yeah. And I think it's the same on Kumba. But the interesting one is Billiton was up strongly after all of their announcements yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this morning it was down 5 6% in Australia now it's down five six percent already, okay. but uh, the resource cycle's turning, eh? Turning down, as predicted by yourself. Yeah, but I mean, there's limited downside. So I, mean, I don't know if it's this year or next year, and I don't know how much further they will fall. But there's a stage coming up in the not too distant future where you might go to buy them again. Well, this is what I asked you. This, this down cycle, this down cycle's limited. Eh? It's not going to. You know, Anglos isn't going to 50 bucks like it did last time. No, we've had this conversation. I'll ask you the, uh, the question, yes. I'll ask you the question, what leads? Is it the commodity prices in US dollars themselves or is it the shares? At the moment, if you look at the CRB index, it's only a, a half a handful of points, or a handful of points rather, away from its all-time record high. And yet we've got these things coming off the boil as referenced by what's happened on the JSC today, despite the weakness in yeah, the look, South African rand. Yeah, look, I looked, I, I don't look at that index. I look at another index. I don't know who actually compiles it. It's just on my data feed. Mm -hmm. But the industrial metals index, so, well, industrial commodities more correctly. So that's oil, that's the whole lot, the whole bunch, coal, iron ore, the whole shooting match. Mm -hmm. It was down about 17% from the higher. It wasn't just a couple of points. 
was actually down a reasonable amount, if my memory serves me correctly once again. Yeah, I've got all sorts of indexes as, as sub-indexes of the CRB. Uh, the London Metal Exchange Index, uh, for example, year-to-date is up 23%, but uh, uh, yeah, no. weekly and monthly it's gone a little bit flat. But yeah, there are different indices depending on which commodity you look at. But generally, they're still bubbling, bubbling, bubbling under there yeah. during a, a quiet yeah, month. They mean, but you know, when you talk, when you look at the Chinese data that came out quite recently, mm-hmm. You know, that was a reasonable amount. It was still growing, obviously, but a reasonable amount lower than what people were expecting. Okay, look, the one that I looked at is this thing called Industrial Commodities Index from the Economist magazine. Right. That peaked at, and this is an index value, that peaked at 250 at the beginning of May. It's now 200. That's a big move. It's 20%. So that's a reasonable, that's a reason. Look, it still is where it was in January, mm. but, you know, that's that's it. Uh, then if you go to, I'm just trying to pick up iron ore here for some reason. I'm it's not 161. It. I got 161 on my iron ore price. Yeah, so that, but that was over 200, eh? It was 225, I think, was the peak, something like yeah. that. So that, that's in a bear market. Yes, and but you know, as I said, the downside on these things is uh, is 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 limited. Eh? Make no mistake about that. So what do you do but, then? Yeah, I, I think I think it is. I think it is. Uh, I, I, let me just try and... While you're, while you're trying to do that, Wayne, I, I, I know your memory's bad, but you can probably do two things at once, listen to me and press some buttons. But, yeah, more or less, yeah. Uh, d- d- does that mean you're going to start lightening the load and take, say, 20% off the table, and then when the market comes back another 10 15 20%, you'll get back in with the same amount of money? Or are you just going to hold? Yeah, probably. I, I think that's probably right. Now, we have sold some already. I mean, you can take um, copper. Copper peaked at of almost, call it $10,500 a ton. You know, it's down at 9.3, so that's that's 10% down. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, the downside, as I said a few times now, the downside's limited here. But, you know, people, when they start to sniff investors, when they start to sniff something might be changing, you know, despite BHP, Anglos, Kumba, the whole lot, the whole lot showing absolute all-time record high profits, dividends, cash flows, share buybacks, all of these things. To me, that's a clear indication of the top of the cycle. The copper price. And, 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 the, market, and the market seems to be reacting to that. Eh? Mm, it really does. I mean, if you, take, if you take a basket of platinum group metals, and uh, I, I, I think the split of South African miners is roughly – 60% platinum, 32% palladium, and 8% rhodium. Because of the big collapse in the rhodium price, that PGM basket's down quite a bit. Eh? That's down over 20% from the absolute peak. Very much so. And um, uh, it's interesting. I saw, some, I saw a, a sporting article in one of the UK broadsheet newspapers, quality newspapers, and instead of saying he's worth his weight in gold – the chap said, this player is worth his weight in palladiums. <laughs> it was quite funny. I don't know if he yeah. was an ex-commodity trader or something, but it was interesting that gold now is not uh, considered to be the, the, the great store of value that it was. But uh, just on the copper price, uh, because I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to commodities, it peaked on May the 11th of this year at $4.70, just below $4.78 per pound. It's now $4.10 per pound. So that's quite a yeah. big move. Mm. Yeah, it's you know it's ten percent plus sort of type of type of move. Yes, 
But, you know, I mean, ultimately, ultimately economics and demand and supply works. Mm. So when you, when you Kumba iron ore, any iron ore company, but let's use Kumba, and you're getting 200 plus dollars per ton, and it's costing you all in, every single cent, not just marginal cost, all in cost at 55 odd dollars a ton, mm. you are going to mine as much as what is humanly possible. Yeah. Because you are making a killing. You must, um, I, 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 was, I was, again, I saw a commodities program. It was on Australian television for some reason. I was watching it. And there's a woman there and she said, everybody in Western Australia wakes up in the morning and looks at the iron ore price because they know that their fortunes, every up. single business, every single it's household is affected by the iron ore price in Western Australia with these giant mines, yeah. with these automated trains, taking them to the ports and then shipping all the iron ore off, off to China, but mainly and, China, and but also elsewhere. Yeah. And that's and that's big cheese in comparison to Kumba. I mean, Kumba pumps 40 million tons a year. I think the Western Australian iron ore production must be 400 million tons or maybe even 500 million tons, even, maybe even bigger. And their trains are 100 kilometers long and they're automatic. That's massive. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Anyway, yeah, Wayne, I know you've got to get and off I think, your... And I think, their yes. cost, I think their all-in cost per ton is probably half of what Kumbas is at. They're extremely efficient there. Yes, and of course, economies of scale do help as well with the sort of numbers you've yeah, just but been I speaking think, about. I think, I think, that, I think, that, I think that the ore body is better as well than Kumbas' ore body. Even though Kumba has got a higher quality iron ore, yeah. the amount of iron ore per ton of ground that you've got to move, I think, is better in Australia than Kumba. Whatever, it's been a bonanza. Wayne, I know you've got to get, get off for your five o'clock interview, so I'll let you go. But thanks very much for your insight, as always. That's Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position, or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.